Well, hey, welcome everybody to EM Over Easy. We are here in Chicago for, did I say it right, Chicago? Chicago. You're, you're from? Yeah, you're from Chica- Chicago. Chicago. What do you call someone from Chicago? A Chicagoan. Is that right? I think yeah. so. Oh, yeah. We're Chicagoans. Chicagoans. We're Chicagoans. Yeah, Chicago I want to make crazy. sure. What do you call someone from Los Angeles, by the way? I See? No, I there no you go. Yeah, I've Los Angelino. Angelino. And Angelino. Angelino. You drop the Los, and you just go to straight to Angelino. feels awkward. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. I got off the beaten path really, really early, guys. Hey. So we're here. ACOEP, joined by the the godfathers of, of emergency medicine. There's no other way to say it. Billy Mallon, Short Squadron, thank you so much for joining us on EM Over Easy. This is a, a true pleasure. You guys just got done giving a talk about essentially where emergency medicine has been and and where we're going, which is pretty inspiring. Um, we are a, a novice specialty, although we've been around for a while. What was it like being at emergency medicine beginning and, and really where, where were we? Well, what do you say? I mean, we were in different places at the beginning. I was up in Canada. And so one of the things we discussed was that some of the things that were happening in the U.S. were a little bit ahead in terms of the specialty getting recognized, board certification, training programs. You know, we straddled that era. And Billy, at the same time, when he started, things were just kind of getting going here, right? So we- Yeah, when I applied to emergency medicine, the only training program in New England was UMass. Um, there were none of the Boston programs. There was, of course, some New York programs. I applied at a time where they, there was a rapid expansion in the number of residencies. So the number of residency positions that's why was we got greater in. than the that's, applicants. That's why we got in is basically I, I, what you're That's saying. the only yeah. reason I got yeah. in. There were open I, spots. And, and I only got into the last program on my rank list. Yeah. When I look at the quality of people who are applying to emergency medicine nowadays, it's, it's just amazing. I, I, one of the thoughts that you just can't have. Uh, help but have when you're looking at these people who are applying to the specialty now is, oh my God, I never would have gotten well, in. Yeah, one, one way one way to in. characterize that was that we were the people sitting at the back. I was going to say when we did go to class, we were the people sitting in the back of the class. Um, and the penalty uh, box. And now, I said yeah, and pretty much now they're sitting at the they're sitting at the front of the class. That's basically what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. You know, I matched at a place that was last on my list. I thought I'd had a terrible match. And I know many were in that, you know, the interview season starting, people are keen on it and all. I just really didn't know what had happened to me. I went there sort of determined to make the best of that place for me. And it turned out it was a lifesaver. It was a godsend that I ended up at this huge, brawling county program. If you were to talk to my classmates in medical school, I would not have been picked as the person to go into academics at that time. They would have been like, yeah, jail maybe. Uh, but not academics. Where do you see him in five years? Jail. My father actually said that to me when I was 17 and going to college in, in McGill. He told me, I see two options for you, jail and college. One will help you with, the other not so much. I also had a lot of trouble at the beginning. And, you know, I was already in practice. I was a GP and uh, kind of like use goods, you know, like trying to get back into the system, especially trying to move to a different country and get back to the system. They were like, Excuse me, like, why would we ever, you know, you're, you're not an American and you're already kind of like in practice. Why on earth would we consider why are you, you doing this? And so uh, I, like Billy, wound up in the same place. It wasn't, you know, wasn't what I was thinking initially that that would be the place to go. And wouldn't you know it, it turned out to be exactly the place that we should have been going and exactly what was right for both of us. It just so, worked out perfectly. So for all you students out there who think you're having a terrible match day or things like that, just go with the flow. Yeah. It'll work out. It'll work out just great. So that's how you guys begun. And you guys have been kind of at the forefront for a lot of things. In fact, I was talking before with Tarlin about how you guys were going to be here. And I was like, oh, I 
I remember listening to you for my board review course, listened to you for years on other podcasts. What made you guys want to be at the forefront of that part of it? That not only be in the specialty, but also be at the forefront of education and making sure that the specialty grew in the right way. Again, I would I would offer up that it wasn't really a grand design. I'll tell you, when I joined the faculty at USC, there were like six faculty positions open. Um, the place really needed help. One of my mentors, Ed Newton, who was my program director, it was pretty clear that he needed help in the education arena. And it occurred to me, it was, still wasn't a, a done deal, but it occurred to me that if I just worked my ass off for this guy, I might be able to be a program director. And I was super attracted to the idea of leading a young group of adult learners. Uh, you know, I love my residents and colleagues. And um, I thought there was lots of room for curriculum growth and lots of, of ways to grow up as a teacher. And so I was drawn to that. It wasn't that I wanted to be a leader academically or anything. I really wanted to teach there. For me, I have a really good answer for that, which is that you know, having been a GP practicing in emergency departments before I was properly trained, I had this need for kinship to find other people that were similarly kind of burned by not having the right training and able to share the experience. I mean, it was a complete 180 for me, going from being an isolated practitioner who's always kind of screwing things up and not really knowing what to do to being in a whole cohort of people that all love the same thing, all want to do the same thing, but want to do it right. And so for me, education is the ultimate expression of kinship. It's like, oh yeah, I've been through that. I screwed that up. Here's what I learned. And just, you know, give people an opportunity to come through without basically the amount of PTSD that I had coming out of it, frankly. But I would also say that, you know, in terms of education in emergency medicine, we just by timing and place came into a community that I think was among the most innovative educators in all specialties. You had essentials coming out. You had um, emergency medical abstracts. Right. You had, there were a variety of venues where emergency medicine was leaps and bounds, even though we were the newest, especially in the House of Medicine, our endorsement of different models of education, short lectures, flipped classrooms, all of those types simulation. of things, video, music, simulation right. as part of that environment right. really blasted off. And, and in fact, as we worked with other colleagues, you know, and, and you know, take Kenji Inaba, who's from surgery and a great trauma surgeon in LA County, when he would come to our meetings, he would be like, Wow. You guys having a good time. Our meetings are not like this. Right. And that I, that sort of concept of fun and multimodal and short lectures and all of that stuff, emergency medicine really led the way on that. So I don't know who gets credit for that innovative educational spirit of emergency medicine, but we quickly outstripped other specialties in terms of that approach. And we quickly have outstripped other specialties in terms of what you guys are doing, in terms of blogging and getting out into the web and getting into, you know, video case presentations and things like that. Um, I don't know why emergency medicine I, I think became it's born, an early adopter, well, it, but we I, were. I think it's, well, I think it really is part and parcel. It's born from a tremendous need that other specialties didn't necessarily have, right? When you've got a very defined curriculum, you've got a defined process, this is where you're going to go. And it's kind of, it's all laid out and it's not as open. And, uh, and the, in the, it was, things are up in the air for us. What is the very scope classic, of practice? Where is open. the scope of practice going to be? Who's going to do this? Who's going to lead the way on this? Well, you know, we talked about STEMI today. We talked about ortho. Uh, and, and, and that is what the innovation in education has been born out of. Pure need, I think. We didn't have the weight of history dragging us down, right? So it wasn't, well, we've done this for the last 50, 100 
200 years Correct. in surgery M&Ms and making people yeah. – like, we could create our own. You can either look like a complete fool and be belittled or you can stick with your colleagues and say, no, 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 we got it right here and we're going to actually do this. And I think that's what we've done, to be honest. And then um, there's one other part of emergency medicine, which is just that the cases are indeed the great unknown. They're undiagnosed new, they're sick, they have physical findings, they have all of that creates a ripe teaching environment, not only in the lecture hall, but my favorite place to teach, although I'm I'm known more broadly as a speaker, is at the bedside. There's no place more exciting to be with an adult learner who you know, a resident who you know, what kind of what they do and kind of what they don't know and where they're at in their training. And you're at the bedside maybe with new pathology that they're not familiar with, with history elements that they're not seeking, with physical findings that are new to them. And, yeah, exactly. Context yeah. of what's going on. That is that is a teaching environment like no other. And, and, and you know what? The med students that we, at one point, we did the, you know, undergraduate, the second years and third years, and you take them different places. Medicine. And I mean, where's the most fun place for a medical student that's trying to learn about CHF? Someone who's on the ward, who's three days into their, you know, fine tuning of their meds, or some guy who's got all the findings and is in, I mean, it's just it a looks natural. Like he's about to die yeah, of CHF in an hour be- It's later a no-brainer. looking better and right. having to ask him for the crossword puzzle. Exactly. All the time when students come rotate through our ED, they don't know what they want to do with their lives. Just walk around the hospital and see who's happy, who's smiling and having a jovial conversation because it's all happening here in the basement in the ED, right? The the rest of the hospitals. You hear that all the time. You hear that all the time. And my wife's an internist. Um, She prefers as much as possible to do her CME with us. She enjoys our meetings. She enjoys the, you know, the way that we present things. And, you know, I'm like, "You you guys could do this too. But as of yet, we still, still seem to, yeah. So still, I, yeah. I would just kind of summarize that whole line in terms of becoming people who are recognized and maybe I, I don't think of myself as a leader per se, but but people who are sort of recognized. It was more that we were swept up in it at the right time. And having noted that, I would say there is still lots more room to go for that. Uh, sometimes I hear junior docs say, well, it's kind of, you know, the Judy Tintinale came and went and the Jerry Hawk, you know, the, all the ground has been staked yeah, out. Like as the if, pie has yeah, been di- like as if up. the world is over now. I mean, you know, to put flags there's new, anyone. yeah, I mean, it's all it's a continuum. so not true. Yeah, exactly. So not true. Yeah. Well, but along those lines, now that we've actually established ourselves as a specialty, we've staked our claim to emergency medicine and we've gained the respect of everyone else. I think in the medical system, where, where do we go from here so that we keep being fresh? So we keep being innovators. We keep being unique so that when we have this conversation 30 years from now, and maybe Andy and I are on the other side of the table being interviewed by, by the young guns that people are so excited about everybody. emergency medicine, education well, and advancement. We talked in our, we talked today about how uh, we talked about that excitement and we talked about how different things are now than they were then. And we use the example of CPR as something that we, people were kind of like skeptical about. And it's like, oh yeah, these are the guys that pound, ritual. these are people that pound on <laughs> chest before people die. And now we are talking about who are we going to reanimate? Who are we going to bring back to life with our, with our machines, our ECMO? Sure. Um, that's a different ball game. So game if you changer. think of how excited we were about education, about making this new specialty in a time when everyone was looking at our tools, like we were a Neanderthals, how do you think things are now that we've got this amazing, uh, these tools and these skills that no one else has at our fingertips? Of course, we're just starting a new period of growth. There's no I, question. I would say that for the coming generation, there's another thing, and we didn't talk about this at all, which is if you look at you know the big pie of healthcare expenditures in the United States, it's always sort of offered up that we represent about 2% of the healthcare dollars. But we determine the spending of about another third. We decide who gets admitted and who doesn't, who's outpatient, um, what's OBS. And 
our view of the system from that first floor, from that basement, looking up, we know exactly who's part of the solution and who's part of the problem uh, in terms of those types of systems. And I think we ha- will have, ultimately, a leadership role to play as healthcare stewards change and advances. Yeah. And it has to change. Obviously, we can't keep spending 19% of a GDP on healthcare like this. We can't keep imaging everything with expensive imaging. And so when it comes to resource stewardship, which um, Stuart just touched on, Emergency medicine is really uniquely positioned to talk about that. How can we get the same outcomes with less, not an infinitesimally small, better outcome with a huge additional expenditure? And so I think emergency medicine is, right now, if you were to ask me, one of our great unknown futures is, when are we going to take control of the economics argument? When are we going to take control as a bigger stakes in terms of the whole system and how it's going to be in reformatting healthcare? You know what a great harbinger or example of that is? Palliative care. Um, we all know what some of the major problems are spending whatever percentage it is of healthcare on the last 30 to 60 days of someone's life, et cetera, et cetera. And so as the kind of thinkers we are, um, we've dived, we've dove and dove, dove, what's the word? Dived? We dive, dive? We dove? Dive. We, we dove, dove deeper. Thank you. Dove we deeper. Do- thank you. Thank you for that basic English. Uh, so basically, we have made our foray into palliative care. We're now one of the sponsoring boards. We've got it. We're all over it. Because no one else was really, I don't think, with the same force and the same voice. And so that's an example of how this is starting. We're gonna- and it really is a first floor thing, right? These people come in. It hasn't been addressed for whatever reasons. Yes, I'd love if the primary care doc had done it and done a pulse or a mulch. Or the yes, I would love the oncologist yeah. to sometimes acknowledge maybe, you know, death with dignity is better than two more rounds of experimental chemo. I got it all. But we are really in a position to intersect at that at an important junction. And... Um, deal with it. I mean, we again, we can't keep admitting rocks to the ICU for the last 30 days of their life, which is not dignity, and it's not good care, and it's not what anyone wants for their loved one. And we're in a position to say, let's head that off in the past. So I think emergency medicine remains really exciting. I, I When I hear young docs, residents, new docs talking about, yeah, all the important landscape has been staked out, I'm like, au contraire. There is so many places still to go. Oh, and then the uh, and then right and then the other uh, thing that we talked about today was uh, how we're sharing our experiences and our kinship with those abroad that are in countries where the specialty is kind of at the same point it was when we were beginning, and that that we had a nice discussion about that, and that's just been just enormously satisfying and fulfilling for both of us. Drink to, more to, Chilean to, wine. No, so yeah. I've spent 20 years working with emergency medicine in Chile. When I went there, there first, there was um, a single resident in training. Uh, now there are 10 programs. And her name society. is Isabel. And her name was Isabel. And still <laughs> is Isabel. <laughs> She's still the coolest cucumber around. Yeah, well, and, uh, and, and um, Paolo Granata. But in any event, um, now emergency medicine is is done there and done in a very beginning way. Like now I'm meeting their educators and wondering who among them is Judy Tintinelli. When you mean done, you mean happening. Yeah, it's, it's happening. happening. Right. Not over. Right. 150 residents recognized by the government. 70% of the positions are government funded. Um, bright, bright students at the top of their class considering the talent. specialty. Right. Um, and I would say that my involvement with that has been one of the most fun things I've ever done. Probably the next venue of emergency medicine is, is now promoting ourselves to everybody else so that they can grow. Well, even the WHO has sort of woke up and smelled the coffee that non-communicable diseases are really important. 
And if you start looking at non-communicable diseases, they break pretty quickly into, you know, the cardiovascular stuff, stroke, et cetera, and then trauma. Trauma. And, you know, the WHO would remind us that DALIs, Disability Adjusted Life Years Loss Due to Trauma, exceed HIV, malaria, and TB combined. And not by a little bit, like almost double. And so as you start looking at systems in countries abroad that are middle-income countries that are developing emergency medicine, the potential for the people in those specialties to do good for their people, to make a change in the health status of their country, is really meaningful. Really meaningful. Billy Mallon, Source Squadron, thank you so much. This has been an absolute treat, absolute pleasure to have you join us on Eam Over Easy. Hope our listeners really enjoy this, and we will talk to you all next time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us on Over Easy. A nice new forum. I like being had. Yeah. Over <laughs> Easy. Bye-bye. <laughs> Did I say it right? Chicago? Chicago. You're from? You're from yeah, you're from Chica- Chicago. Chicago. What do you call someone from Chicago? A Chicagoan. Is that right? I think yeah. so. Oh, yeah. We're Chicagoans. Chicagoans. We're Chicagoans. Yeah, I just want to make sure. Crazy. When he calls someone from Los Angeles, by the way. I See? No, I there idea. you go. Yeah, I've Los Angelino. Angelino. And Angelino. Angelino. You drop the Los, and you just go straight to Angelino. Feels awkward. Yeah, there you go. Sorry, I got off the beaten path really, really early, guys. Hey! So thanks again to Billy Mallon and Stuart Swadron for meeting with Drew and myself at ACOEP in Chicago. And for our listeners, don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or subscribe directly on our website, emovereasy.com. Until next time, guys, thanks so much. Thanks.